or verses 17 through 24. The exact same passage we were on last week, but I wanted to take some more time tonight to kind of clarify and uh, really dive into this passage in specifics. We dealt last time when we were together about the issue between the heart and the mind, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Uh, we talked about the fact that God's word is to take root in our heart, and then it'll affect the rest of us. We've always been taught that it needs to start here and then move into our hearts, and it's really God's word. He's shooting straight for the heart, folks. He's not trying to get to your intellect and then to your heart. He's trying to get to your heart, and then once it takes root there, it'll affect every other aspect of, of your life. And uh, so that's what we're going to be kind of carrying on from there, especially when you see in this passage when Paul says that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So that's what we're going to deal with tonight. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Paul says, Now I, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which is, belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right. So this is the passage we're going to take some time to break down. Take a look at what, what he says here, though, when he says that we're to, we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. You see it there in verse 22. He's right near the, uh, sorry, chapter, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. By using the term spirit of our minds, Paul was emphasizing the heart aspect of our inner man that we talked about in our last study. Now, if you I want to take a second to clarify something that I did last week. Last week I came to realize afterwards that I used the word mind in two ways. Now, in my head, it made sense, but then I realized y'all probably can't read my mind, right? <laughs> Shocker. You don't want to half the time, probably either. But here's the thing, especially you, Allison. So, but, uh, so, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. The word mind that Paul's using here, as we looked at last time, and I'm going to show you a couple of passages that kind of clarify this. When Paul uses the word mind, most often, if not almost all the time, he's talking about that inner part of us that we call the heart, the soul. When he uses the word mind, he's, using about the, he's talking about the, the part of us that connects with who we are inside. Remember, last time we talked about that God says we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength, that in Deuteronomy. But Jesus comes on the scene, and he says we're to love the God with God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't change anything. He helped us clarify it a little in the sense that, well, again, we're loving Him with all our heart, that's the inner part of us. And actually, the Hebrew term I shared with somebody afterwards, a lot of people don't realize this. A lot of times in the Hebrew, they would talk about it coming from deep within. They would use the term your bowels because they were trying to give you the picture of the who you really are deep, deep within, the inner man. And so the Bible says we're to love God with our heart. Our everything in us, our soul, our strength. And then Jesus adds the word mind. Now, unfortunately, for some of us, that might cause us to think that we can get there with our intellect. 
And as we looked at last week, and we're not going to take the time to re reiterate that, but uh, we looked at last week, God has chosen to make this thing called faith in Christ, this, this, thing, this, this truth of Christianity, the fact that Jesus is real, and not only was he a man, he was 100% God, and that he actually lived without sin, and he died on the cross for the sins of mankind, and rose from the dead by his own power. He's made this to be received through the heart, not through man's intellect. He's chosen to make it where it doesn't make sense if you try to figure it out in your head, in your intellect. So last week, I would use the word mind a lot of times to really talk about your inner man, yet sometimes I use the word mind to talk about your intellect, and I might have confused a few people. So I'm going to strive my hardest the rest of the time here to really make a distinction between your mind, meaning the inner part of who you are, and your intellect, okay? Do you understand what is that? Are you with me so far? So uh, yes, we have minds. Yes, we have a brain. Like I said, the term, you can't read my mind. I'm talking about my brain at the same time. When we look at the scriptures, the Bible shows us that the mind, when it uses the term mind, is tied to our inner man. Let me, let me give you a couple of ex examples of that. Um, go to uh, Colossians chapter 3. You're there in Ephesians. Go over two books to the book Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> if then, he says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Paul says that we're to set our minds on things above, is he just saying that we're to think about things above? Or is he telling us to set our hearts on things above? He's talking about setting our hearts on things above. He's not just saying think about things above. He's actually setting, set your hearts on things above. It gets even more clear. Go to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. Paul says here, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And we're going to actually take a look at this passage in a little bit more detail in a little bit, because there's some really important stuff here when we start getting into the putting off of the old self and putting on of the new self. But I want you to understand, is He, is he here talking about setting your intellect on, on things of the flesh and your intellect? No, he's not talking about it in that way. He's talking about the inner man, your heart, your soul, the, what, what you, who you really are deep down within. And as we looked at last week in the book of Luke, out of our heart, the mouth speaks. The really, where you really are is going to come out. You know, and, and that's what the Bible, that's why it's so foolish for us to think that we're going to become more righteous by not eating certain foods or by a, 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 a failing or not doing certain things. By, by, think by your actions, you're going to make yourself right. Where God's not looking at our actions, is He? God's looking where? 
is looking at your heart. And the problem is every one of us, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, and because of that, it is passed on to all mankind, our hearts are already, they're messed up. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, they're deceitful, beyond cure. We've got a problem. If your heart is beyond cure, according to the book of Jeremiah, how are you going to be all right with God? You need a new one. He can't, he's not going to fix your heart. He's going to come and live within you and give you a new heart. And that's you. Now, the problem we're in, and this is where we're going to get into tonight. The problem we're in right now, though, is this. We've been given, a, we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the old is gone, the new has come. Yet we're still living in these bodies, as we already read here. Your body's dead because of sin. Remember, as I told you, when you got saved, it didn't affect your physical body. It affected your spirit. You've been renewed in Christ. You're a new creation. But your body is still decaying, is it not? Ken's got cancer on his, on his face. You see it over there? He's got the white sideburns to prove it. Our bodies are still falling apart. Why? Because that's part of the curse of sin. What did God say when Adam and Eve ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from? They were spiritually separated from him at that moment. And also he said, now you're going to physically die back to the earth. It came from the dust. You're going back to the dust. And as you know, he also then cursed the earth. When we, through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he actually did he is God. He lived without sin. God punished him instead of us. He rose from the dead and we ask him to give us eternal life, to give us righteousness, to forgive us of our sins. When we do that, God does something in our spirit, in our inner man, the, in our who we are, in our hearts, where he makes us alive. You're new. You are given a new life. And it's not because of anything we did, but because we believe that he did it, not us. And when we do, again, it, it isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you to try to figure it out with your intellect. You only can receive it by faith. But when we do, he not only erases our sin, but he comes to indwell us himself. But we're still living in an old body. I don't know about you. Does anybody here still struggle with sin, even though you've been made new? Yeah, we all do. Well, actually, we're not the only ones. Go to Romans chapter 7. You're in that chapter 8. Go back to chapter 7. Paul had the same struggle, and I'm so glad he did. Look at what it says in verse 14. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not what I want, to, what I want but I do... Sorry, let me read it again. I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the, I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members, or in my body parts, another law waging war against the law of my mind. Again, not just talking about our intellect, but our, the, the inner man. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, or my body parts. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he is now sharing with us this same struggle that we all experience. And so this is where we need to be tonight, because we need to kind of move into something that, unfortunately, a lot of Christians kind of surface understand, but very few really fully understand. And the answer is back in Ephesians chapter 4. Go with me back to Ephesians chapter 4. As we saw in our last study, Paul was telling his readers that they must no longer live like the Gentiles do or the, those who are separated from God. Let me read it to you again. Verse 17. Now I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Again, the inner who they are. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, that's important because this is the key where we're going tonight. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Look at how he says it. He says that's probably not how you learned Christ. Right. In other words, I don't want you to miss this. <laughs> Too many of us have been taught that if you're born again, boom, it's all better. Yet many Christians experience this struggle that Paul talked about where we, we understand that we've been given new life and we're going to heaven when we die and God's forgiven us for our sins, yet we still have this struggle. And many of us, if you're like me, you went through periods where you questioned whether or not you're even saved. Been there? Oh, you know, man, I must not even be saved because of the struggle that I'm going through here. Maybe I'm not saved because we've never been taught what Paul is reminding them, assuming that they'd been taught. He says, you that's not the way you learned Christ. Well, that reminded me of something when he put it that way. Put a bookmark here and go with me to Matthew chapter 11. When I saw those the words learned Christ immediately in my brain, it jumped right back to something Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, I don't know if you caught this or not, but Jesus doesn't say, come and have a one-time experience and everything's all better. He says, come and learn of me. Does anybody catch that that's a journey? That's a process? Yes, when you trust Christ as your Savior, at that moment you are forgiven, you are justified. The Bible calls it declared as if you'd never sinned. You are, you're justified, you're declared righteous. It's, a, it's an official act that has, is solid and secure. Yet, as we've already talked about in times past, when God sees your salvation, He sees the whole process, the moment of salvation where you trust Him in your justification. This process we're in right now is sanctification, where we're being made into the image of Jesus Christ. And then one day when we get to experience it in full, the Bible calls it glorification for eternity. Are we being saved or are we saved? The answer is yes. Let me ask you another question. Are you, have you been saved? Are you being saved or will you be saved? Yes. 
Yes, it's a whole process. But many of us have just been, we've only focused on the first part of the salvation experience where we just say, walk down the aisle, give your life to Jesus, you're born again, you're a new creation, and no one ever taught us how to learn Christ. We've been told about the fact that we're forgiven, we're going to heaven when we die, hallelujah, and then we, how ever, whoever taught us about sanctification? Oh, there's been wrestling matches in Christian, Christianity over the years about how well it's already been done. You just have to, you know. folks, the Bible, as I'm going to show you here, actually shows that this is a process. It's a process. It's always been that way. And that's why Paul says, that's not how you learned Christ and how you were taught to what? Put off your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Now, you remember last week when I talked to you about how most of what Paul writes about the Christian faith is already in the past tense. But when he talked about putting off the old self, being renewed in the spirit of our minds and putting on the new self, it was in the present tense. It's a continual process. Well, l let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. Go to Second Peter chapter one. Many of us were probably brought up in churches where we were told, man, you know, you just need to come down, walk the aisle, rededicate your life, and it's all better. And we have, and we felt good for a while. And then the struggle continued, and we wondered, maybe I need to do it again. We keep expecting one-time experience that's going to make this transformation. But the Bible teaches a process. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 15. Look closely at what he says. He says, His divine power, talking to Christians, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, then interesting, he said, you've already gotten everything you need for life and godliness because of your relationship with God through faith in Christ. And He's made us a lot of promises so that you can be Come partakers. Did, did you catch the tenses there? You are everything you need for the life that God wants you to live. You already have. And he's made you a lot of promises that if you learn how to partake of them, you can become. It's interesting. Keep reading. It gets even more clear. He, he says you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, with virtue knowledge, and with knowledge self-control, and self-control steadfastness, and steadfastness godliness, and with godliness with brotherly affection, and with brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. increasing. Did you catch that? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. In other words, make sure you're saved. For if you, look at how he puts it, practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that by the putting off of my body, uh, sorry, that the putting off of my body will be soon, and he meant death there, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time to recall these things. Look at what Peter's saying, guys. He says, you've already got everything you need. You've been declared righteous. You're holy. Now, you're going to make every effort to increase these qualities of virtue and faith and knowledge and love and steadfastness and all that, because anybody that's not growing in this way, they're nearsighted, they're blind, they, they don't understand what they've already got. Yet, he doesn't say, why aren't you living like that now? It should be, it's an instant no, you've got it, now you have to be reminded of this process of becoming more and more like Christ. Actually, I would even hesitate to even say becoming more like Christ because too many of us are trying to live like Jesus. And it's not trying to live like Jesus. How am I doing, Jesus? I'm trying to be just like you. No, it's Jesus in us living his life through us. There's a big difference. It's not you doing the best you can. It's you understanding how to let him live his life through you as you yield to him. And we're going to get into that tonight as we look at putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And so I want you to understand, here we see that salvation is definite one time. You're saved, yet it's also a process. And remember our definition of maturity? What was our definition of maturity? Does anybody remember what we said? What's that? Moving forward from where you are, hungering for more of Christ, growing in whatever level you are and walk with God, then you're mature. You're going to be hopefully mature all the way until Jesus comes. But maturity is growing at whatever level you are, folks. So get out of your head that I should have this experience and I should have this all fixed. No, you're in a process. You're in a journey. And in the same way in which, you know, you learned how to drive, you probably didn't do so great the first time. My daughter, uh, who's not here tonight, so I can tell you this story. The very first time she drove home with her learner's permit, I mean, it was interesting. We had somebody at the house doing some work at the time as well. And I even told him, I said, I don't know what we're about to experience, but uh, my daughter's driving home right now from her learner's permit, and uh, um, just be ready. And when she came back, she missed the driveway. Now, I don't mean tire on the driveway, tire on the grass. Pulled it up onto the lawn, and we said, that's good, get out. Good, we're good for now. <laughs> She's actually an excellent driver now. Actually, and, uh, Grandma Cuckoo's grandkids are riding with her right now, so, but, uh, uh, and they're actually, she'll be here real soon. She's a great driver now, but it was a process. In the same way, folks, your Christian walk with Jesus. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. That's not how you learned Christ. You were taught to put off and to put on, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So I want you to take a deep breath and don't let Satan beat you up anymore because you're not there yet. There where God has you to be is, are you hungering for more? Are you moving forward when you, when you fall? Are you not getting content with just, well, this is as far as I'll ever get? Are you happy in sin? That's a problem. Are you moving forward? If you are, you're right on schedule and you're mature and you're growing in your knowledge of Christ. Let me give you another example. Go to uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Look what Jesus says, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. Now, I left a word off. What word did I leave off? Daily. Daily. Did you catch that? Jesus, you want to be my disciple? You want to come into a relationship with me? You want to believe in me? You have to learn how to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. This is not a walk an aisle and you have an experience and you're all better. There are too many people out there today that are running around trying to find the spout where the oompa is coming out. Oh, I heard the spirit of God's getting poured out over here. I got to go over there and get some of that. Because they think that that's going to make a change in their life. Remember we just said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You don't need to go to a special service to go get the Spirit of God poured out on you. Folks, you don't understand the Scriptures. The Spirit of God's already, everything you need is all there. You need to learn how to renew your mind and put off your old self, put on your new self, and you'll be all right. You don't need no magic pill. You don't need no special service. You need to understand that the Bible's been teaching all along that, yes, you trust Christ at a moment when you say, I believe and I receive. And that begins your journey of learning how to follow Jesus and allow him to live his life through you. Yes, ma'am. What does he mean by deny yourself? What does he mean by deny yourself? Well, uh, as we have just touched on and we're going to get into it in a little bit more detail, we still struggle with our flesh, don't we? Does your flesh want to follow God? No. Does your flesh want to let Jesus be in control? No. That's what he means about denying ourselves. It's honestly what he says there is a is a in one one sentence what Paul just said in Ephesians chapter four. We need to learn how to renew our minds, put off the old self, put on the new self. Okay, so that's, that's all it is. If you think that well, I didn't deny myself there. I guess I must not be a follower of Jesus Christ. You haven't read your Bibles because Peter, even though he was saved, was still learning, was he not? I mean, I, don't know, I pointed this out to some of you before, but the same Peter that stood there at Pentecost and as they were preaching, the Spirit of God was preaching through them at Pentecost. All these Gentiles said, how can we hear them preaching in our language? Those were you look, those were Gentile languages. So here's Paul, Peter, full of the Spirit of God, preaching at Pentecost. P Spirit of God's preaching to him. Everybody hears him in Gentile languages. Yet in chapter 10, when God tells him to go into a Gentile's house, he says, oh, no, we're not allowed to go into Gentile's houses. And God says, oh, no, 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 you still don't understand. Uh, don't call clean, unclean what I've called clean. And when he went into the man's, uh, man's house and the Gentiles believe and the Spirit of God came upon them, what does Peter say? He goes, wow, now I know that God... Doesn't favor any, have any favorites. He, he accepts everyone. Yet this same Peter who had this epiphany, later on in chapter 2 of Galatians, he had been eaten with the Gentiles, but when some other believers from the Jerusalem church showed up, he pretended he never ate with the Gentiles. And Paul had to go and confront him in love, but to his face. Say, look, you're, you're not only doing wrong, you're leading other people wrong. Even Barnabas has been led astray by your, by your faults and your hypocrisy here. Was he not saved? No. He's in the process of maturity, just like you and I. So, folks, tonight we need to take some time to let me teach you how to put off your old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. And if you understand this, you're going to be all right, because that's what it means to follow Christ. Let me, let's, let's go take a look at it. Let's go look at what it means to put off the old, put on the new, and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Go to Romans chapter 6.
Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Now, Paul has just been teaching that uh, we're no longer under law, but are under grace. And, and it doesn't matter how much sin we have. God's grace is greater and it can cover it all. So he says, I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, what then shall we say? Are we to and continue in sin so that we can get more grace so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? By the way, this isn't talking about your water baptism. This is not talking about your water baptism. Your water baptism is a picture of what this is talking about. You do understand that when you got saved, you were put into Christ, right? But he was also put into you. You weren't talking about being baptized. I mean, you weren't talking about getting dunked under. You're swimming in God. That's why Jesus says, on that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. I mean, if you just take a look at that picture, I'm in the Father, Jesus says, and you're in me, and I'm in, you want to talk about being surrounded by God? You have been put into, that's what the word baptism means, you have been put into God. All right, so let's read it again. How can we who died to sin live in it? Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been put into Christ Jesus were baptized or put into his death as well? We were buried Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's talking about here now, not just heaven. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, let me just stop here real quick before we go to the next verse. I've already made this statement and you all agreed with me. I can see it on your faces and you're sitting there nodding. You all understand that what happened to Adam and Eve passed on to you, correct? No one had to teach you to lie. No one had to teach you to steal. No one had to teach you to, to covet. You were born with it, right? Those of you who have had kids, you know what I'm talking about. You didn't have to, you didn't have to sit down with your kid and say, you're being too nice. You need to learn, learn the word mine. It's one of the first words they learned, wasn't it? Did, Hopefully the, your kids never saw you hitting each other. But wasn't it one of the first things they learned to do was when they got mad or frustrated just to reach out and smack somebody? We all understand that because of what happened to Adam and Eve, it was passed on to us. Correct? Yes. Didn't even have to work at it. You have now been put into Christ. And Christ had been put into you. That means everything that comes with Jesus and who, who is in Jesus is now yours. That means that if, as Paul's about to say, because of his rising from the dead, does sin have any power over him anymore? No. It didn't have power over him when he was on the earth. He was tempted, but he had victory. Sin has no power over him. Guess what? It doesn't have any power over you either. Oh, Jimmy, I don't know. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You need to understand the truth, and the truth will set you free. You're still trying to live the Christian life. You've understood that he's going to get you to heaven because you know you can't do that. But you, unfortunately, have never been taught how to put off the old self and put on the new self. You've never been taught how to renew the spirit of your mind. And you have been trying to live the Christian life the best you can. 
Uh, right? Isn't that pretty much what we've been, you know, like I told you before, you know, we, we've preached the first part of salvation. If you can't save yourself, there's nothing you can do to make yourself right. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough good deeds. You're guilty in the eyes of God. You need God to give you salvation. You need God to give you righteousness. If you're ready to receive this free gift, come today and receive it. And you had. And then and for, and unfortunately, instead of us saying, OK, you have just begun in this process you're saved, yes, but now you need to learn how to let him live his life through you. We were told, like you've heard me say before, here are your envelopes, here are the committee times, and here are the service times, and now you need to live for Jesus. We even wore the bracelets. It said, well, WWJD, remember? What would Jesus do? And you tried to live like Jesus. How'd you do? He struggled. You knew you were saved. I kind of thought so, because I've wondered a few times. And I think I'm saved. Yeah, I must be saved. Maybe that's just all there is to the Christian life, is just this doing the best I can, hanging in there. And like I told you before, I'm grieved by how across this country, as I deal with Christians, that's all I hear. No one's ever told us the rest. In the same way, Colossians 2.6, memorize this verse, in the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord, now walk in him. Did you have to do anything or just believe it and act like it was true? In the same way, this is how we're going to start seeing what Paul says. All right. So he says in verse five, let me remind you again, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Did you catch that? I'm going to read it to you again. We know, see, I'm going to read it to you because, unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't know this. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, I love this, underline this next two words, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion or power over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right. We keep going to verse 14 and then we'll break it down a little bit. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What he's saying here is very, very important for you. You've got to first, in order for you to be able to start to put off the old self, you've got to believe, first of all, that you can. See, how many times have you said or you heard someone say, well, I'm only human? Isn't that true? <sighs> Do you still have a flesh? Yes. Are you human? Yes. But are you only human? I tell people when they say that to me, I'm only human. I'll say, not me. They go, what do you mean? I'm, I say, I'm superhuman. They go, what are you, one of, the, one of the Avengers? What are you? No, Jesus lives in me now. And now I have available to me, and as you're going to see in a little bit, I choose who's going to be in control. And folks, you've got to get that first part in your head. 
if we all agreed with me that sin has no power over Jesus anymore. Never did. But it has no power over him anymore. You have that same now ability because you have been put into Christ. Remember, you're righteous not because of how you've been, how good a week you've had. You're righteous, why? Because of Jesus. It's all connected to him. In the same way, you need to consider yourself dead to sin. Now, this is a very interesting thing, and I don't know if I, if I go here, I won't mess some of you up. But you remember what we read in chapter 7, where Paul said that when he sins now, it's no longer he who does it, but sin living in him? Now, he's not saying that it's okay to sin, we can do whatever we want because we're a new creation, whatever our body does, it doesn't matter. That's, that's the Gnostic teaching, that's Gnosticism, and that, that's no good. Paul wasn't saying, because you see throughout Scripture, the Bible even says, uh, John talks about it in 1 John chapter 3, when he talks about the fact that he says, hey, I write these things to you, children, so you won't sin. You know, anybody says he's living in, in the, walking in the light, just walks in darkness, he's lying. You know, he, he, the Bible doesn't say that sin is okay. But Paul makes a very interesting statement. When you and I, who are in Christ, when we sin, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you, you're no longer sinning. Like your nature, you're sitting against your nature. I'm going to say it again. It's not your nature to sin anymore. You have begun a new create. You're a new creation. Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17? You're a new creation. All things are new. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul even said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now, you, something had to have died for that to occur. What died? The old you. The old you is dead. But how come I still struggle with it? Because it's still in your flesh. Amen. Yes, ma'am. And isn't it strange how haughty we actually do sound when we believe that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I believe that. And yet I do still sin, but I'm a new person. And yes. I that. And that's why if you are born again, you know when you sin. How does it feel? Doesn't feel good, does it? You don't enjoy it anymore. Oh, the tip. What's that? Exactly. And so, folks, that's why you got to understand you're going to still have this struggle with sin, but it's really not who you are anymore. See, that's that's the stronghold, by the way. The stronghold is not, well, I got a problem with alcohol. That's my stronghold. No, your stronghold is you think you have a problem with alcohol. You think it still has control over you. That's the stronghold. See, the stronghold is anything that sets itself up in our minds, heart, and sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that blocks you from the truth of what the Bible actually teaches and who you are in Christ, that's the stronghold. It might manifest itself as a drug addiction. It might manifest itself as something else. But the stronghold is anything that keeps you from understanding the truth of who you are in Christ. So we need to understand that we need to daily say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. But in order to do that, you got to believe, first of all, you can say no to the flesh. And so you got to get over this. I'm only human. And that says, you know, I'm just going to. No, 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 no. That's who you used to be. And it's still there and it's going to be fighting against you. And God. Oh, by the way, you know why God's left it? Has anybody ever thought about why didn't God just kind of give us our new bodies now? You ever go ahead? You know, do you trust me? That's a part of it. He's, he's calling us to be a steward of our hearts. You know, yeah, that's, that's one of the, the greatest possessions the, that we have is to be a steward mm -hmm. of, of 
his word, but it's the stewardship of our hearts. And he's still allowing us to choose who's in control. Now, in the same way, folks, we are left in this world to not only bring others to him, but to live as evidences of the power of God. See, if we, if we all of a sudden had this glow and you could shoot us with a gun and we wouldn't die and we didn't get sick anymore, we walked around just kind of floating around, everybody would say, well, that's different. They'll look at us and say, you're like me. Yeah, I kind of am, but I'm kind of not. The difference is Jesus. How come you're reacting so well to the same thing that I went through and, and, and you've got peace and I don't? Well, it ain't me. It's Jesus. That's why Peter, who was so afraid to even tell a little girl that he believed in Jesus, that he even knew him, was the one who stood up and said, this same Jesus whom you crucified. By the way, he was standing in front of the exact same group of guys that had voted to, say, to put Jesus to death, the Sanhedrin. And he stood there and he boldly, full of the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit, he said, this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And they said, they took note that these guys, all they could understand was he's been, they've been with Jesus. <laughs> Boy, they're starting to act like that Jesus guy. But the transformation wasn't just that they had been with him. Jesus was with them. And folks, when you learn how to understand, not just in your intellect, I'm not talking there, I'm talking in your mind, in your heart, the truth of what God's word says, and you live out of that, stop looking at things with your eyes, and you believe the word of God, you will, listen, in this process, begin to experience the power of God in you and through you, and others will take notice. Isn't it interesting the Bible says to, to be ready to give reason for anyone who asks you for the hope that lies within you? Isn't it rare, though, that anybody even asks Christians today? Well, because we've never been taught. We've been told to go do the best you can, act like Jesus, do the best you can, hang in there. One day we'll be in heaven and we'll all be over. Oh, folks, there's way more than that. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. So how do you put off your old self? You acknowledge, you understand that I'm dead to that. It doesn't have power over me anymore. Yes, I'm tempted. Yes, I'm tempted. Jesus was tempted and he was perfect. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it's wrong to think that I can't kick this. But it's also wrong to think that you can kick it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't kick it, but Jesus in you can. And the same way in which you had to come realize, I can't save myself. Jesus, you got to give it to me. you got to do it. you got to understand in the same way, Lord, in this struggle against this one area in my life, or two or five or whatever it is, Lord, in this area, I can't beat it, but you can, and you already have, and I'd like you to do it again. And then you act like it's true, and you walk away. You don't go sit in the bar if you've got an alcohol problem and say, God, show me your power. No, the Bible says you are to walk away. Believe that it's true and walk away. Go ahead. Okay, so we in and of ourselves do not have dominion over sin. No. Yet, Jesus has dominion over sin. And verse mm -hmm. 14 says, sin will not have dominion over you. So if we lay down and let sin have dominion over us, it's our fault. Yes. Actually. Yeah. Because what we need to do is say, Jesus. Yes. Exactly. Um, I, I choose to let you have that dominion. Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. You wouldn't let me. But you weren't willing. See, that's one thing about this relationship we have with God. He, he doesn't control us like puppets, folks. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. 
And he's daily calling out to us. He's daily pursuing us. He's daily convicting and speaking and loving and wooing. But we, he lets us choose. Yes, you got it. You already got it. Now it's a matter of learning how to put it into practice. So don't think you got to go to some special service or something to go get. You got it. Now we need to learn. So how do you how do you put it off? You believe you take to heart verse 11. Sorry, take to heart verse 6 and verse 11. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we will no longer be enslaved to sin. And then again, verse 11, so you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how you put off your old self. You acknowledge that it has no power over you because of Jesus in you, and that's the first part. But how do you put on? Verses 15 through 19 talk about that. Verses 15 through 19, he goes on and says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. He's not saying sin's okay. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms, he says, because of your natural limitations, but for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to law lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members or your body parts as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. By the way, who are you presenting it to? Exactly. That's when you now, well, how does it say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's the same thing all there. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be renewed or transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the way, in the Greek, it's a daily renewing of your mind. And then he goes on and says, you'll even know what God's will is. As you yield yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I let you have control in this situation, believing that he will, he takes over and you even know what to do. Keep reading. Offer your, so now uh, the second part of verse 19, present your members or body parts as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Did you catch that? How, it says it leads to what? Process. That process all along, it's been there all along, leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life, which we know is glorification. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we put off? We acknowledge that our old self is dead because of Jesus, and it has no power over us. And how do we, we get renewed in the spirit of our mind in this whole process, understanding what the truth is, and then now we choose... Who's going to be in control? In the same way in which you had to make a decision to receive Jesus as Lord, you now need to learn how to daily in these situations when you have this tug of war with the flesh, learn how to believe that what God said he would do, he'll do, and you let him have control. Lord, I don't want to forgive this person. He goes, I know. And you can't. But I will. If you'll let me do it. So what do we do? We say, okay, God, you forgive him and I'll still hate him? No. We give ourselves over to the one who lives within us and we walk up to that person and we say, I forgive you. Oh, not only is there freedom, folks, let me just tell you, for those of you who've ever been down that road, 
there's something weird that happens. Where honestly, it's almost like as the words are coming out of your mouth, something changes and you believe it. And you feel it. And you walk out of there going, wow, I do forgive him. How did that happen? Well, you, well let me show you how that happened. Go, go, to, go to John chapter 11. We're going to wrap up with this. But remember, don't beat yourself up if you have a bad day in this. It's a process. But I hope you're hungering for more. Hope you're practicing and learning how to drive, if you will, or let him drive. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. John chapter 11, 38 through 44. Then Jesus, this is where he's right outside the tomb of Lazarus. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he's been there four days. I love that. I just, I'm just, you really take the time to put yourself in the situation. I love the fact that, you know, how many times do we see people call Jesus Lord and then tell him what to do? I saw it when I was preaching this afternoon to this group of men at Men in Motion, how when, when God, God's talking to Ananias and he tells him, look, I just saved Saul and I'm sending him to you. Or I want you to go to the house where he's at and heal him of his blindness. I love it. Here's a man that is so in tune with God. He can hear specifically the instructions God's given him word for word. What street to go to and everything. And then, then the Ananias goes, well, don't you know who that is? I love it. Lord, um, hang on. Let me tell you something. I've been on his Facebook page. Let me tell you what about this guy. Let me tell you about this guy. Here he is telling God, Martha, Lord, tell my sister. She's bossing him around. Calls him Lord and then bosses Jesus around. Tell my sister to help me. I love this. Lord. <laughs> hey, we all do it, don't we? Oh, Lord, save my child. Don't do it that way. Oh, God, I want you to fix my situation, but I want this job. And we tell him how to do it, don't we? We all still got that struggle. Hey, but guess what? Hopefully you're growing in this. Hopefully you're growing in this. So he says, Lord, said the sister of the dead man. I love how he just described it. The dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an order for he's been there four days. Jesus said to her, listen closely. Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Oh, folks, you want to get me preaching. <laughs> I, I, I want to build a whole sermon on that statement right now there. I could start the quote and you could finish it. You shall know the truth and what? The truth shall set you free. Folks, if you're not free, what's the problem? You don't know the truth. Or you don't believe it. Well, if you don't believe it, you don't know it. Remember, it has to take root here. If it hasn't taken root here, you don't know it. You have to know the promises to claim the promises. Yes. And then Exactly. If you don't know the promise, you got to know the promise in your intellect, but then it's got to take root here. If it doesn't take root here, folks, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Matthew 22, Jesus made this statement. He said, you're wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. I'm going to say it to you again. It's Matthew 22, 29. If you want to double check me, Jesus said, you are wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Again, you know me well enough to know I'm not going to run down some unbiblical realm when it comes into a believing God and faith and power of God and all this stuff. But let me just tell you, it's time we Christians understood that there is a truth here that we need to start experiencing. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. By the way, I don't know if you all caught this or not, but Jesus is living out right now what he just said to them. He didn't walk up to the tomb and say, oh, God, I hope you're hearing me. Right. Isn't that how some of us pray? Oh, God, I hope you hear me. Oh, God, I know I haven't been good enough and you might not even be hearing my prayer right now. Oh, no, no, you don't understand the scriptures. The Bible says if you ask according to his will, you'll receive. And he knew the father had sent him to go tell him to come out. So when he walked to the tomb, it wasn't like, man, I sure hope this is going to work out. How did he walk to the tomb? He walked to the tomb and he'd already told him, hey, you're going to see the power of God. And then he prays this out loud. It wasn't for him and Jesus. It was for everybody listening and for us. Father, thank you that you're going to do this. Thank you that you're going to do this. Have you ever heard me say that a few times before I prayed and when I prayed before a sermon? Because of this. It's changed how I look at how I do whatever God's asked me to do, especially when I get up to teach and preach his word. Oh, I've studied. I've prepared. I've made some notes. But honestly, I don't sit in here and say, what's the next thing I'm going to say? I believe that he's going to take over and that he's going to speak through me the way that he wants to. And I walk into the pulpit now no longer worried about how I'm going to do. And when I'm done, I don't sit that back and critique how I did. I don't give myself an examination. I believe that he would do it. And I trusted him. And I walk out of there believing that whatever happened, he did. And if there's something that he wants to fix, he'll tell me. I don't even have to go in to check myself. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know you always hear me. I just said that for the benefit of the people listening. And look what happens next. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Some trans NIV puts it this way, take off the grave clothes. Now, I'm going to wrap up with that. Lazarus had been brought from death to life, and it really did happen. But it was also a picture of what God's done for us spiritually, is it not? He was demonstrating his power over physical life and death to demonstrate his power over spiritual life and death. And since Lazarus was dead... He had been dressed in the way a dead man dresses. He acted the way a dead man acted. He was in the linen cloths. He was dead, laying there stiff. But now he'd been brought to life. But he still had the grave clothes on. And I don't think that that, that statement of take off the grave clothes is by accident. Folks, listen to me. If you have been brought from death to life, how does Paul put it? Let me read it to you one more time. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Did you catch that? Take off the grave clothes, folks. And you have to what is that? We're going to have a we're going to have an altar call now where everybody comes and it's a one time thing and we're going to go live for Jesus. No, this is a process. You have been taught to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put off your old self and to put on your new self. Oh, some days you're going to do better than others. But I promise you that as you begin to let Jesus have control, you'll start to experience the power of God. And there'll be a change in you that nobody can explain except Jesus. It has to be Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for this time to come and to study your word. Thank you for the fact that if we're taking the time to let you speak, the truth is there. Lord, over the years, we, without realizing it, because of our small view of who you are and our, our lack of true understanding of your word, uh, we, uh, we really haven't been living in the power 
that you have available to us. Lord, we, we have to be honest. These uh, statements that you say that we'll do even greater things than these, uh, the fact that we can say to a mountain, be moved and it'll move. And if we only have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, Lord, we have to be honest, that kind of stuff scares us. We don't understand it because we've never even experienced the power of you living in us to give us victory over sin. And most of us just struggle and hide it and do the best we can and put on the Christian face. We question our salvation. We beat ourselves up and we live defeated lives even though everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us through our relationship with you. But Lord, tonight you've taught us. We want to learn Christ. We want to learn to let you have control. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you're excited about this, that you are ready and anxious. And just like you stood over Jerusalem weeping when they wouldn't let you, you are now saying, let me, let me, let me. And Lord, in each area, you're going to show us and you're going to speak to us. And we need to then choose whom we're going to obey. Before we couldn't choose. We, we didn't have a new self to put on. We were slaves to sin and it didn't matter how much we tried, we were slaves to sin. But now, because of you and because we've been put in you, uh, even though we're still in this body and we still are tempted and we still wrestle with it, uh, it has any, no power over us anymore because of what's available to us as we yield ourselves to you. The victory is not because we can say no, it's because you will take over. And so, Lord, in the same way in which we came to realize I can't save myself, Jesus, would you do it? May we learn to walk that way. Saying, I can't do this, but Lord, you said to, and I believe you'll let me, and you'll give me the victory. You'll give me the power. Lord, you've asked me to talk to my neighbor. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to go in boldness believing that you'll give me the words. Lord, you've asked me to teach a class, and I'm scared to death. I, I'm, I'm not a Bible student, but I believe that everything you ask me to do, you'll power me, empower me to do. Lord, thank you that this is going to be good. Lord, whatever it is, we may be facing death. We may be facing health issues, we may be facing lots of different things. May we put off the old self and the way of looking at things and be renewed in the spirit of our minds and daily begin this journey of following you and learning to let you have control. Thank you again for the fact that you're gonna do mighty and awesome things through us. We look forward to seeing it. And Lord, it'll be easy for us to say, it wasn't me, it was you. We pray this in your name, amen.